You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. And it is a very special episode because if you follow us on Twitter, as you should at Half Street High Heat, you saw the announcement that the champion, current champion, crown holder of the Half Street Hot Seat, one Ryan, we are all Shaq, has accepted the challenge from best friend of the show, Matt Wyrick, to, you know, it's a title fight. It's plain and simple. It's a title fight. Matt is joining me tonight. We're going to treat this like almost like a weigh-in, you know, talk a little shit and whatnot, hype up the match and and check and see how how Matt's doing. Matt, thank you for taking the time. Uh, How how are we feeling heading into this uh, title fight? Yeah, Nick, thanks for having me. I'm I'm feeling pretty good, pretty confident. Uh, You know, I listened to the first, I believe it was eight uh, episodes of the trivia, uh, all in one go, pretty much, Uh, was was doing a lot of driving, so I had... (laughs) a chance to just listen to them all the way through. And you know, I think I've got the format down, uh, took some notes on what to study Been been looking up some stuff to, to shore up uh, my Nats knowledge here, my MLB general knowledge. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, we were, we were supposed to go tonight. Uh, Ryan decided he had other things that were more <laughs> important to him. That's fine. You know, I understand if he's a little bit scared, uh, you know, I would be too in his shoes, but here we are. Uh, I'm ready. Uh, whenever he's ready and as soon as we get you know to the podium it's on <laughs> love it yeah ryan was uh you know pretty quick to uh you know talk talk his talk on twitter uh after the the title fight was announced and you know made some clip very clever content but you know alas we get to game time and all of a sudden oh now we have to postpone till next week mm-hmm. so yeah uh, i'm not saying but i'm just content. saying 
Yeah. <laughs> with the content i'll give him that i'll give him that for sure but i'm not sure it's going to give him much of an edge when it's game time <laughs> yeah well uh you know for those listening yeah we, we've been promising the, this title fight for for a while now it will happen i promise it will happen uh schedules that have obviously just been uh, crazy going past the holidays and, and whatnot now getting back into a group so the title fight will happen we will have a new champion or a reigning champion, but a definitive champion nonetheless uh, next week for that title fight. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. Matt, let's talk some baseball. This is really one of the first weeks uh, since the lockout began where it felt like there was legitimate news on a couple of fronts. Obviously we got the labor negotiations uh, ongoing and kind of picking up at least you know, more so than it has been for the past month. Yeah, obviously you got the Hall of Fame stuff. Uh, what was like the one storyline over the past week where you're just like, man, you know, it kind of got you in baseball mode again? Yeah, you know, I think just to hear that both sides were willing to concede things, you know, this was really the first time uh, that we heard that the two sides were willing to meet in the middle when it came to their demands up until this point. Uh, we've had several proposals uh, over the past year and a half, really, that have been sent back and forth uh, between the Players Union and MLB. But each time the proposals were rebuffed and they not countered at all. Uh, and the other side then responded with a proposal of its own that included little to no parameters that were outlined in the previous one. So there really wasn't much give and take. Uh, up until this point. And obviously we've reached the point of the off season where there is a bit of urgency. Now, if you are going to have spring training start on time, you really need to get some kind of agreement here in the next week or so, uh, being able to give players enough time to travel and things like that. Uh, so, you know, I think it was just encouraging for me, uh, to see that, you know, the players union, uh, didn't feel like it needed to win in every single category. Uh, and MLB didn't feel like it needed to clutch its pearls and hold on to every cent uh, that it has because, you know, this is a situation where, uh, you know, the owners have been making a much larger share of the pie for the, the last two CBAs, really, uh, while players' salaries have pretty much flatlined and in some cases decreased. So, uh, you know, I think it was completely fair for the union to, to ask for a bigger share of that pie, uh, but I don't think that they can expect to get every single demand that they have. They need to be willing to have some give and take, relent on a few things, and for the first time, I think we're seeing progress in that direction. So that, that got me excited. Yeah, I mean, obviously they – they have to come to an agreement at some point. It's just, you know, when is, if games start being impacted, which I'll ask you about that in a second, you know, how long is either side going to like be okay with that? And seemingly, uh, I mean, there, there was a poor, I don't know how valid it is. The owners are willing to, you know, miss out on games. And I mean, the owners, at least on the surface can hold out longer than the players because the owners are obviously billionaires and whatnot and the, the players will be the ones impacted by uh loss of games granted the owners would be too what's your you know best guess anticipation for when the season starts because for me personally i don't i mean even back in november i didn't think there's any way spring training would start on time and a deal getting done in the next week or so seems like you know pretty far-fetched what's your like best guess for when the season start would start and when like spring training or, you know, late spring training would start? Yeah, so 
we learned back in 2020 that the players union requires at least three weeks of ramp up time uh, in order to have pitchers ready uh, for the start of the season. That was what they requested uh, when working out the 2020 schedule during the pandemic and everything. They said, you know, as soon as we do come to an agreement, you know, or when Manfred had to enforce uh, or impose uh, the 60 game season, they needed three weeks for the pitchers to get ready. I think that's going to have to be four weeks uh, now, considering this is a 162 game season and not a 60 game season. Uh, and you also need time for players to travel, which I would assume would be another week. Uh, so I think that from when uh, the CBA is agreed upon, uh, if it is five weeks uh, before the season is set to start, which is March 31st, April 1st, that weekend, uh, that is when we are in jeopardy. So that's really the last week of February is when a deal needs to be reached in order for the season to be really start on time. Uh, and I think it gets done. I, I've been saying since the start of the offseason that I did think that the season would start on time. There's too much pressure. There's so much money at stake. Uh, that could be lost uh, as the result of losing games. And, you know, like you said, there, there was a report that came out that MLB was willing to lose games uh, in order to get what it wanted in the CBA. But that really feels like a bluff to me. Uh, you know, the players union, Max Scherzer talked about in his press conference when he signed with the Mets about how the players union has a war chest of money that's going to be distributed to players should any games be missed. Now, it's probably an even amount. So, you know, Max Scherzer is not going to be recouping, you know, his percentage of value or anything like that. But for the guys who make the league minimum, you know, that's going to be significant for them to continue making money or to the point where, you know, you probably aren't too stressed about losing games if it means you're getting what you want. Meanwhile, MLB. If you don't start on time, you lose games. That's ticket sales loss. That's Merchandale sales loss. That's gambling uh, deals lost, TV deals, all that, that revenue with these, you know, we're seeing in these negotiations, MLB owners are saying that, you know, some of us are operating at a loss and, you know, we don't, some don't make a lot of money. I don't see how you can cry poor while also saying you can afford to miss games because games are the most important part of your revenue. So, you know, that doesn't really add up to me. Uh, you know, obviously some owners are richer than others and can afford to, to miss games while others can't. Uh, but, you know, I think that the pressure is going to be on the owners as the season gets closer to really get a deal done. And uh, I think that we could see them be, be more willing to relent on a few things than maybe the union is. Yeah, I could definitely see it from that side. Did you see the, or I mean, did you see and do you know anything more about, uh, there was apparently a couple owners, uh, I believe the Rockies owners uh, was one of them, because I know he's kind of leading the uh, MLB side of, of the negotiations or heavily involved in it. They were complaining that it's expensive to own a major league team. Um mm-hmm. I mean, shouldn't you just <laughs> sell the team at that point? I mean, I, I, I don't know, but um, I mean, if you're owning an MLB team, yes, obviously it's a business and the, right. you know, there is a goal to make money from a business and I get that. And, and absolutely that should be, you know, part of your budget every year is to try to make money. Uh, but you look at, you know, the Miami Marlins when, uh, Derek Jeter and company took over that team, the Marlins had been operating at a loss for at least the previous five years. Uh, and they had been operating a loss for, I think, the three first three years after that. Uh, you know, a lot of teams are operated at a loss because it's kind of a cool thing for a billionaire to own a team where you're really more about winning and, you know, giving the fan base something to cheer for uh, as opposed to the money. But, you know, we're in a, a, an age where you know everything is scrutinized and and you know money is is brought into the conversation in so many ways 
uh, where it's really hard to separate that, uh, you know, especially when there are owners who aren't, you know, as rich or, you know, they're not all Steve Cohen's, uh, you know, they are, there are some owners where their significant portion of their income is related to baseball. Uh, so, you know, I get it from that standpoint. Uh, but you know, it's, it's just, it, it can be kind of hypocritical at times. Now I don't want to act like the players union is, you know, absolved from all this. They've, they've caused plenty of problems on their own. Um, but you know, I, I think that, I think that there is more pressure on, on the owners in general, uh, just because they have so much more money at stake. Uh, and, and you, you mentioned that the, the owners that don't necessarily have as much money, you know, those are the ones that are probably going to be pushing for a deal to get done. Uh, you know, even if it means relenting on a few things. Yeah. Makes sense. And I definitely, I've become so, you know, pro player because I mean, that's just how I am. And, you know, it seems like, the, the owners, again, just as a fan surface level, the owners have really been pocketing that extra, you know, cash as opposed to reinvesting it. And, you know, uh, it is good insight to hear like the Marlins, for example, operate at a loss. But, you know, for, for me personally, I, again, I, I think the owners do have like a responsibility to, you know, maintain that level of productivity or, you know, just interest in the team. And it seems like, you know, at least 10 teams right now are actively not doing that. Um, but you mentioned some of the concessions. Uh, the players conceded that uh, uh, age-based free agency, but they're holding firm at two years arbitration. Do you think there's going to be – is that what we're looking at, or is, or is there going to have to be more middle ground there? So what it looks like is, is being on the table right now uh, is that Super 2 eligibility will remain. Uh, the league minimum uh, will be raised. So for players in the first two to three years uh, would be making more. Now MLB is searching for a hard cap on that number uh, to this point. Actually, it, it doesn't get talked about a whole lot because the money isn't, you know, uh, always public. Uh, but a lot of teams, while only required to pay the league minimum uh, to their players who are with, with within zero to three years of service time, uh, a lot of teams will actually give players a little bit more, uh, you know, maybe only like, you know, an extra $20,000 or, you know, $50,000 or something like that. Uh, but as kind of like a, a pat on the back to say, hey, like we recognize what you're doing, you know, you're making the league minimum right now, but, you know, we'd love to work out an extension with you later. So here's a little bit more and extra for now uh, for some goodwill. Uh, the owners were looking to have that taken away where it's kind of a hard cap and, and the players union is not interested in that. So I don't know, you know, how that's going to sort out, but uh, the, the league minimum itself is almost certainly going to be raised, which with inflation, everything else makes complete sense. Um, Super two status will remain intact. And the big thing that is kind of in, in discussions right now and still not uh, completely solid as to how it will happen is they want to have a player performance pool. Uh, where players who do make the league minimum, I'm not sure if it includes arbitration players as well, uh, will get certain payouts for reaching certain accolades like Silver Slugger, MVP. Uh, there is even discussion of war being involved uh, with players reaching certain war thresholds, uh, getting certain uh, amounts of money. Uh, there was a, a great article in Baseball Prospectus that pointed out some of the flaws uh, in that line of thinking, I highly recommend checking that out. It's free uh, for all readers. Uh, and one of the things it talked about is, you know, like strikeouts are something that's very much valued in war, right? And if you are a young player uh, who wants to earn a little bit more money, 
uh, and you're a ground ball pitcher, you might actually shift your focus to trying to get more strikeouts because you know that mm-hmm. affects your war total uh, and might actually help you get a little bit more money. Uh, and we're already in a situation where strikeouts are at an all-time high and we really want to be pushing uh, for more strikeouts. So, you know, it, it's kind of, uh, it's nothing is set in stone right now. You know, the players union wanted to use a combination of B war and F war, whereas the MLB was holding fast and only wanting to use F war, uh, which each co- uh, calculation has its own advantages to different players. For example, F war includes framing uh, in, in, in its calculation. So catchers can actually get a little bit of a boost uh, in terms of F war because of framing being involved, whereas B war does not include that. So, you know, there's a lot of different quirks and things like that uh, about them uh, where, you know, they're not perfect statistics. And I think that's the problem with it is that mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to use them as an absolute, you know, as a a true evaluation of what a player uh, brings to the table. And and we know full well that the defense is so hard to quantify and, you know, war does its attempt to, to to quantify it. And it does a a pretty good job compared to other statistics out there, but it's by no means perfect. And now we're going to have players livelihoods determined by that. You know, I'm not sure how I really feel about incorporating that, but I think the things like, you know, MVP voting, you know, if you get ballot, you're on the ballot or something like that, you get down ballot votes or, you know, a silver slugger, gold glove, things like that. I think that makes total sense. Um, But, you know, it's, it's going to have to, it's going to depend on the negotiations here and kind of how, how it goes over these next couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, war is so funny. Cause like, that's usually the go-to argument like Mike Trout put up a 10 war season or, you know, whatever, if you want to go back and look at Barry Bonds war and like what his war, but like you said, it's not absolute. There's two different calculations to it, you know, that are both viable and brought up in these negotiations. So it it gets you most of the way there, but yeah, it is kind of a a fascinating thing to do a rabbit hole dive down. Um, The last thing I want to ask you, and I'll kind of just give you the floor here. So uh, we not we're not voting for Barry Bonds, huh? We're we're we're, not, we're, yeah, dumb, we're, we're you're we're just gonna leave out the best player. Never had a positive uh, PED test. Never been popped. Uh, we're just not gonna vote for Barry Bonds. Like, what's up with that? So here's my thing, right? The Hall of Fame exists in two parts. Okay, it's a museum, uh, but it's also there is a wing within that museum. That is a collection of the greatest players to ever play the game, right? And the voting process that has been put in place to determine those players includes the character clause. Now, I understand gripes about the character clause. And if the character clause wasn't there, I think that we are talking about something different. But I don't think that, you know, I'm not a voter. I'm not a Hall of Fame voter. I'm I'm only 24 years old. I have a very long ways to go before ever even considering voting, you know, being able to vote anything like that. So, you know, by no means does anyone have to take my word as rule of law. But the way I see it is we as a society have advanced, right? We have recognized our moral rights and wrongs. And we see that PED use was cheating. We recognize that and we understand that it was a disservice to the game. It was a disservice to the fans. Uh, and it damaged the integrity of the game. Did steroid the steroid era save baseball? Yes. But did it ultimately hurt the game and its reputation uh, and its integrity? Absolutely. 
And so for me to sit here with voting rules that say a player's character must be taken into account and to say that a player such as Barry Bonds, such as Roger Clemens, such as Alex Rodriguez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame when there have been, in the case of Clemens and Bonds, while no positive tests and no public admittance of doing it, there have been former teammates that have testified to Congress that they did it. There are Balco testing records. There are swarms of evidence, everything short of a positive test that points toward these two players in particular, and Alex Rodriguez obviously being suspended and, and having positive tests is in his own category. But for all of this evidence to point towards these players as being cheaters, and for me to be here as a voter, you know, hypothetically, uh, and say that they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, I can't do that when I know that these players purposely and knowingly cheated the game that I love. And it sucks. And I think that, like I said, the Hall of Fame is a museum, right? And there is one particular wing that has a bunch of plaques in it that is determined of who's Hall of Famers, but there is an entire rest of the museum. And I think that that museum can't ignore history. Everybody always says you can't tell the story of baseball without Barry Bonds. You are absolutely right. There should be an entire wing to the entire steroid era that explains how good Barry Bonds was and what he did in his story and how he was popped and how steroids became such a prominent part of this sport to the point where Congress had to get involved. You know, you got to tell that story. Absolutely. But to put that man on a plaque is something completely different. And it's something that if I were to be a voter, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing. I mean, so you, you do make some good points. And before I go into like a brief counter argument, what would have been your ballot? The, this voting cycle, what would have been your ballot? Who would you have voted for? I don't have uh, a list in front of me, but uh, I know that I would have included Todd Helton, uh, Scott Rowland. Um, man, off the top of my head. Uh, Those are the Billy two Wagner. big ones. Yeah. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bill, Billy Wagner. Um, I would not have included Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Vizquel, uh, A-Rod, Sosa. Mm-hmm. You know, none of them would have been on there. Um, so what about David Ortiz? I think Ortiz? I'm forgetting. I would have included David Ortiz. And here's why Ortiz is different. Okay. So Ortiz registered one positive test, right? In 2003, as part of an anonymous survey conducted by Major League Baseball to determine whether or not it needed to implement a steroid uh, type of you know situation where they started testing, right? And so they conducted this entire anonymous survey that was not certified. The results of that survey were not certified as correct, like all other PED tests are. In today's game, when somebody is tested positive for PEDs, that test is then run again and again. This is not what happened in David Ortiz's test. It was run once with the rest of them. And Rob Manfred has come out and admitted that some of them may have been false positives. Uh, and with the results having certified, then the, the, the possibility that one of those tests could have been David Ortiz's that was a false positive. I don't see that as substantial enough evidence to conclude that a player cheated. 
right? I, I believe that a player is innocent until, until proven guilty. Now, obviously proof here is not a life or death in court situation. We have to use the evidence that we have available, but every bit of evidence should be investigated just because there is something pointing to a player uh, that might indicate they did PEDs. That individual piece of evidence still needs to be investigated thoroughly. And from my research into Ortiz's in particular tests, uh, I would still have voted for him for the Hall of Fame because I don't believe that it was substantial enough to take away from his candidacy. All right. Well, I mean, we could save the the full on debate for another time, but (laughs) I'll just say, you know, me being an unbiased, unbiased professional, you know, podcast host here, you did do a better job of explaining your stance than uh, maybe some other reporters. (laughs) So uh, I appreciate that. I've given it a lot of thought. I yeah. appreciate and, that. And, you know, I'm not going to rush to, you know, advocate for your Hall of Fame voting just yet. I mean, I still have <laughs> we still have trust to build back up, um, but I do see of sort course. of where you're coming from. But I appreciate that. And, you know, I'm I'm somebody who hopes to be in this career path for a long time. And, you know, I'm not saying that my mind won't change on things, but I think that the most important thing that any voter can have uh, is consistency in their criteria from year to year. You can't apply right. one set of criteria to one player and another set of criteria to another. Uh, you know, that criteria can change from one ballot to the next. But as long as you are consistent on that individual ballot uh, with what you believe is the criteria for making the Hall of Fame, then, you know, I have no problem with your vote. Yeah. And I think that's what we're running into is like, uh, the voters seemingly are picking and choosing when to invoke the character clause. But then, I mean, you, I'm sure you can even admit this. You see some of the ballots out there and they'll include shilling, but then not include someone like bonds, but not for PDs, but for character clause. And it's just, I mean, yeah, it, the, the shilling it story is, is a, a very, you know, <laughs> different conversation. We won't go down, but it's just very weird where they pick and choose. I saw a phenomenal uh, suggestion by Ian Happ of the Cubs. I don't know if you saw this, but he suggested anyone with 10 plus years of service time should get a, get a vote as well. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that because I think the player should have a say uh, in that voting as well. It shouldn't just be writers. I don't even know how you technically qualify for a hall of fame vote, but I, I do think players should be involved in one aspect or another. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how that would work. Um, yeah. It obviously has to be ironed out. I, yeah. And, and, you know, I, there is the, con- I think the concern there is that, you know, players would just try to vote their buddies in kind of deal, you know? Right. Um, and, and you would obviously want to have some kind of safeguard against that, but if there was some kind of split where, you know, writers voted, you know, counted what percentage and players votes counted another or something, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, but then, you know, you also have to come up with what is the threshold for a player that is allowed to vote? Is it, you know, 10 years of service time? Uh, you know, what is the type of player that spends at least 10 years uh, in the major leagues? Is that going to be a statistically, you know, outlier type group of voters? You know, th- those are kind of things that need to be looked into. And I'm not saying I'm opposed to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm definitely not pearl clutching here. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, that's something that is not just cut and dry. You know, we, we really sure. have to kind of figure out how that might work. Yeah, I, I just want the players involved in, in one way or another, because like, uh, you know, I, I know reporters have followed these teams and, and players for, in some cases, like 30 plus years. So they definitely have some knowledge of the players and of the game, obviously. But to give them the sole vote 
uh, I don't even know how many of them there are in to- how many Hall of Fame votes there are in total. But to give them the sole vote just seems a little off to me. I would like the players, even if it's like, you know, if you are a current Hall of Famer and obviously, you know, still living, you get a vote. I, I mean, I think that would be there, there's something there. I just want the players involved. But again, yeah. conversation for another time. Matt, I will let you go on, on that note. Uh, I will leave the listeners with uh, the uh, puzzling feeling of why you wouldn't vote for Barry, vote for Barry Bonds. And, uh, you know, they can have that that sense leading into next week's championship match. Any final words for the listeners and for Ryan before uh, the next time we talk to you, which will be that title fight? Yeah, well, I will say uh, my DMs are always open. So if anybody ever wants to give me a piece of their mind, you are more than welcome uh, to shoot me a message on Twitter at ByMattWire. Feel free. Um, yeah, Ryan, it's on, man. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the competition. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a, of a Nats nerd, you know, have been for a long time. I, I know this is the, the space for that. So, you know, this is kind of where I feel like my skills are going to come out to, to really shine in a way that, they don't in a lot of other parts of my life. So uh, I'm excited, uh, looking forward to it uh, and, and bring it on. Love it. I, I'm excited to to see you nerd out. Like you said, this is the platform to do it. And we truly tried to test Nats fans. So we'll see what you got. We'll see if you earn any uh, any of that trust back that you lost with your <laughs> Hall of Fame voting uh, through. Maybe through being trip. Ryan could, could, could be what pushes it over. We'll right. That, that's also the other thing. Like at this point, you're, you're our last hope, Anakin. Like you need to, you know, <laughs> kind of take down Shaq and knock him down a peg because many have tried and even more have failed. And at this point, you're, you're our last hope. So uh, yeah, you're, maybe you're the a, people's a champion. Writer, <laughs> if he beats the Nats writer, who knows about that? Ego? Just think Every about how, how insufferable he will be on Twitter. Like you oh. can't, you can't <laughs> let that happen. <laughs> I can't, I cannot let it happen. <laughs> All right, Matt, I appreciate you joining uh, everyone following. Be sure to check out Matt and his work uh, on Twitter at by Matt Weirich and on NBC Matt, thank you for your time and uh, good luck next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Nick. See ya. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Dawn, well, you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.